welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. This is episode 260. My kids go back to school tomorrow, and so things are looking up. <laughs> How are you guys doing with the back to school swing of things? Um, I'm sure most of you are back in school. I remember and when we lived in Virginia, it wasn't until the week after Labor Day that the kids started, and it seemed like an eternity. So we are glad to be getting into the school routine again and just getting back to regular life, but it was a great summer. I'm so excited about today's episode to share with you today. It is with my dear friend, Jill Hodges. It's kind of fun because we actually recorded this in person, sitting across from one another, which is something I don't typically do, but it was nice to have her in close proximity as she shared her motherhood journey and a lot of her heart with me. Jill's a mom of three, now teenagers, and we talk a lot about teenage life, And then we also go all the way back to the beginning of her motherhood journey where she shares finding out that her firstborn, her daughter Addie, had Down syndrome and she found out at birth. And so we talk about how she processed that, how those next few years looked, the medical issues that she had. We share how Jill struggled to take care of herself and her own health during that very challenging time um, and the eating disorder that resulted from it. We talked about how she got on the straight and narrow in order to get healthy again for herself and for her family. We talk a lot about mental health. It is a powerful, powerful episode, and I cannot wait for you to hear from this extraordinary woman that I call my friend. So let's get to it with Jill Hodges. Alrighty, I am so thrilled to welcome my dear friend Jill Hodges to the show. Hi, Jill. Hello. We are doing it in person today in my very hot room. I'm really sorry. It's, it's hot. I, you know, it is hot, <laughs> but I am happy we're doing this in person. You're so sweet to endure this, but we're making it happen in the summer. So I've talked before about how we've moved a lot being in the military, and many of the moves we've done, I have done not kicking and screaming per se, but I have been really excited to uproot my life again and again. But the more I move and the more I meet amazing people everywhere I go, the more I realize that the move was really for me. And Jill is one of the friends that I've met along this journey, it makes me wanna cry, that I would have never ever known otherwise. And I just am so abundantly grateful for your friendship. And I love finding mothers a season ahead of me that can kind of guide me and encourage me and befriend me. So I just love you, Jill. I'm so, so excited for everyone else to meet you. Well, I'm happy that you are still my friend because <laughs> our first lunch appointment, I stood you up. Do you remember? <laughs> You're a busy lady, Jill. I completely Jill. <laughs> forgot that I was supposed, I was so horrified. I'm like, this poor woman, she's never going to be my friend. But you know, you only go for, up from there. So yeah. I think it was good that we just... I had already sort of, you know, made the biggest faux pas possible. And then from then on, I could only do better. But then you brought me lunch the next time. That's right. And you brought it over and it was just fine. (laughs) I've shared on the show, one of my tactics when I move new places is identifying a friend that I want to have and inviting them over for lunch and just going deep. And it was lovely. How many times have you been stood up? Um, maybe just (laughs) one time, (laughs) but that's okay. You're worth it. You're worth it. Okay. I want to tell everybody 
my first impression of you and the first time I noticed you and then we'll get more into your motherhood journey. So we just moved to Camarillo and um, I was attending church with my husband when we were just moving to the area and it was the day of the children's music program and I saw this beautiful woman in the back leading the children in music and next to her was a young woman with Down syndrome. And she was also very enthusiastically leading the children in music. And I didn't know Jill at the time. I didn't know who that precious girl was standing next to her. And I think your husband also was standing next to her as well. But I knew I wanted to know you. And I later found out that was your sweet Addie, mm -hmm. yep. who has been a major driver of your life and your motherhood and I just loved that you included her in that, and she was so proud, and she felt like she was doing the whole darn thing, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a family affair. You don't see that all that often. But, Jill, will you just give a little background on yourself, your family, and things like that? Sure. So, I am the oldest of five girls, and growing up in a family of all girls is a very unique experience. We were very close. We lived in a, in a rural area. There were 500 people. We had no gas stations. We had... Um, we had no markets like the f the fun thing that you did was get on your bike and and ride to the there was a Pepsi machine and so that was like the adventure of the day in the summertime but because and she's not a hundred years old no like you, you might be picturing a hundred year old woman right now how old are you Jill right now I'm 41 okay she's 41 she yeah. is a very young looking 41 I'll say but okay so we're not talking about hundred year old women keep yes, going it does it does sort of sound that way now that you mention it it was it was a, a great childhood in a lot of ways because we created our own fun but we we grew up you know fairly sheltered and um, on top of that, I, my mother suffered from um, great depression and anxiety. And as I got older, it got worse and um, she still continues to struggle. So I would say I had something of an unconventional childhood. I, maybe a lot of kids my, in my generation, I don't feel like, I feel like that also makes me sound like I'm a hundred, but <laughs> um, parenting was, you know, you get up in the morning, mom fed you breakfast, sent you out the door and said, I don't want to see your face until the sun sets again. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was just where I grew up and that's how parenting happened, but, um, but that was my childhood. There was very little supervision, which is also nice. Sometimes now I think we over supervise, but um, I got married young. I got married at 19 and um, and then when I was 20, I had my first child and we had all the testing done and everything looked fine. Um, and so it was a big surprise when shortly after she was delivered, we found out that she had Down syndrome. So, and then she also had a lot of health complications. So I was, um, crash coursing motherhood, um, at a very young age and, and really, didn't have the support of my own mother, who at that time was really sick herself. Hey everyone, I hope you're loving getting to know Jill, but I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors, and that is BioClarity. Healthy habits are an important part of how you maintain great glowing skin. We talk about it all the time on this podcast, how important self-care is. And one of the best ways to take care of yourself is to nourish your skin. I was so excited to find this great clean and green gentle skincare line that helps me to get naturally glowing skin that's 100% vegan and cruelty free. 
I've been using BioClarity morning and night and I've had the best results. I use their clear skin routine. It's three easy steps, cleanse, treat, and restore. And it has amazing ingredients that help fight breakouts, soothe skin, minimize redness, reduce pore size, and even skin tone. One of their very unique ingredients in their program is called Floralux. It's a unique form of chlorophyll that's proven for nourishing skin, soothing away imperfections, and blemishes. It's basically green juice for your skin. Every time I use it, it feels like I'm stepping out of the spa, which is a great feeling for me as a mom. So you can get started on healthier habits with your skincare and have a BioClarity delivered straight to your door. Just go to bioclarity.com and my listeners get their first month for 50% off a routine, plus shipping is free. And it comes with a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee, but you need to enter my code EMP. That's bioclarity.com and enter my code EMP. I would love for you to give BioClarity a try, and it's all linked over at my show notes at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back to it. I had taken all the, the classes on, um, you know, genetics and biology, and we had talked about, you know, children with Down syndrome, but I remember flipping through my how to, how, um, what to expect when you're expecting, and getting to that chapter and thinking, I'm not 35, so I just skipped over the entire chapter. That thought never occurred to me. Although I do vaguely remember um, noticing that they checked the nuchal fold and they checked the, the length of the femur, and like, you know, I knew they were checking the boxes to see if I had a baby with Down syndrome, but everything came back fine, so I just never, it really never did crossed my mind um so anyway yeah she's my oldest and then I have two others that came really close together they're 18 months apart so in a lot of ways it's like I had triplets I had three kids in diapers and they all have kind of gone through the same stages at the same time so wow so I know there was a lot of health challenges and other challenges with Addie in the very beginning how long did that really tough season last for you I would definitely say the first 11 years were not normal compared to my other two. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I'm really glad she was my oldest because I, I had no expectation. I, I didn't know milestones necessarily. I couldn't compare her to my other kids, like maybe some parents that have their Downs child at the end or even in the middle. Um, and so, you know, I I thought she was just right on target, you know, <laughs> and I may, I expected things from her that I would have expected from my other children. I think the um, first 11 years were health-wise pretty scary and even behavioral-wise she she is an, she was an eloper so she broke out of everything. I mean I could tell you she broke out of the elementary school, <laughs> she got out of the school bus and unclipped all the kids that were in their car seats. I mean she was just a Houdini but the one thing that um, that I would say to any parent that has a child that maybe um, has is not traveling the the path that you expected. I had a fantastic pediatrician, and I went in when Addie was 14 days old, and I was a mess, and I had a stack of books on Down syndrome. And it's not that I I am saying you should not be educated, but he picked up my books and he threw them away <laughs> in his garbage there in the pediatrician's office, and he said, "I will take care of her health." you go read the books you would have read if she wasn't born with Down syndrome and you raise her that way. Don't pigeonhole her into what you're reading now. When something comes up, I will tell you what it is and then you can do the research on that. But 
you know, don't do this because it will change the way you raise her. And mm. that was the best advice. And he shortly retired afterwards. And I just think all the time, like how grateful I am that I had such wisdom. He was an older pediatrician. Wow. And, that is yeah. so wise. And I think as mom, so many times we're looking so far into the future for our kids and worrying a lot of times unnecessarily mm -hmm. about things way beyond our control and things that may or may not happen. So did having Addie shift your perspective in terms of being able to be more present and short-sighted and appreciative and only worrying more about the day-to-day -day than the long-term? And did that spill over into other aspects of your life and your motherhood? Most definitely. Um, in, I think in the beginning, uh, I felt terror so much that I had to hit a point where, and, and there were a few times when we, she had a stroke when she was five and, and I honestly thought, we've had so many health complications these first five years, she's not gonna live to be 10, you know? And I almost could feel myself just as a protective measure pulling away a little bit because I, my heart just couldn't take the fear of, of watching this continually happen. And, and my dad had passed away shortly before I had Addie and he was 46. So I, I knew what that felt like. And, um, and then one day I just looked at her and decided that uh, it would be a shame if I, even if she made it to 10 and that was all I had, it would be a shame if I didn't give her everything that I possibly could and enjoy every second with her um, that I possibly could because I was afraid. Hmm. And so from that point on, actually my kids say to me all the time, why can't we scare you? Like they try to set me up, you know, like they hide and, and jump out. And I'm like, because I was so terrified for so long. And then I realized like this is, it's, it's making me freeze. I'm unable to progress. I'm unable to love. I'm unable to enjoy life. And so I have to find a way to get around that. I've probably gone a little farther to the extreme, no, but yeah. you know, I really don't, I, even with my other two kids, I, my husband worries much more than I do. I just, hmm. um, it's not that I don't consider their future and worry about the things that they're doing. It's just for some reason, the paradigm shifted a little bit and and I realized the most important thing is the time I have right now in this moment. And, you know, none of us know if, if we're going to have an infinite amount of time with our kids, you know, mm -hmm. so many things can happen. So, yeah, I think our modeling that we do for our children of enduring challenges and our perspective and everything teaches and preaches way louder to our kids than a lot of times what we tell them. So has that spilled over to your kids? Do, are they stress cases? Do they worry a lot? Or do you think that they've seen that from you that life is fragile? Life doesn't need to be perfect. Life doesn't need to be exactly what you envisioned. It can still be beautiful and rich and full. Sure. Is that kind of the way you approach it as a family? We do approach it that way as a family, but you know, biology does play a, a part. And I have um, one child who just agonizes about everything like she had a soccer camp today and she said she just barely slept and she's a very accomplished soccer player and and this this was not of all the things for her to be nervous about this was not one that I thought she would be nervous about but you know honestly um, in our family we talk about mental health in the same way we talk about physical health and as she, I've learned with her that she is a worrier and it does 
create so much fear and it will prevent her from growing. She has periodically gone in and talked to, talk to the same therapist mm -hmm. and they kind of have these mental well checks and she'll have a few appointments and she'll get, the therapist will give her some coping mechanisms and it's one of the best things I can do for her because we as parents, sure, I can tell her my experience, but it's just a different role, I think, when it comes from a professional to some degree, at least in my family. Mm -hmm. Like the, this woman has told Marley the same things that I've told her. Yes. But because she has some letters after her name and you got and she went to an office, you know, right, like, right. And, and I, I find a lot of value in that, actually. And I appreciate the fact that that, um, you know, we can pop in and we have a few visits and then, you know, she does better. And but every stage of life is different. And so I think that um, mental health and, you know, I've grown up with seeing how um, how mental health can incapacitate someone is just as important as our physical health. Absolutely. Yeah, I could not agree more. I put on an episode last year on why I go to therapy, and people really like that one yeah. because people love hearing that you don't have to have a completely traumatic event happen or a messed up childhood or I don't have any of that. No. I'm not your perhaps your classic go-to-therapy type person just as your daughter isn't. But the fact that there are these resources available, why suffer? Just right. like we go to well checks for the rest of our body, why is there not a me right. mental wealth? What, why is there not a mental health wellness check? Totally. I, I would, if I could Imagine. advocate for something like that, yes. I would advocate for that. I think we can do, just like with our um, physical health, if we get on top of things and we even are having these discussions and we're checking in, that we can prevent, hopefully, at least I, I feel like with my daughter especially, because I saw signs of this when she was 11. So she was very young and now she's 15. Um, I've, I've seen how she has grown as a person she doesn't feel like a failure. She doesn't feel like she can't do hard things. And, she, you know, she's developed some grit. And and I hope that that's somewhat because there's not a stigma in our family about going and talking to someone. Yeah. So um, actually my son, he did this last year too. He was having a lot of anxiety at school and he'd had some health complications. And it was one of the best things I could have done. He saw a therapist and he saw his physician and mm -hmm. you know they worked hand in hand and they got his health in a in a good place and and talked about how um the way he thinks and the way he you know takes care of his emotional health will also help his physical health yeah oh that's that's great i'm sure that's gonna ring true for so many so many people and so being raised by a mother that was sometimes absent kind of and it could be the generational thing that was more of a free-for-all but you've said that you know there was mental health component as well and she continues to struggle was there any fear going into motherhood for you that you could be a good mom or you could be a different mom than you were raised with absolutely uh like I said in the beginning I, I'm the oldest of five sisters and we still when we get together as sisters there will be little things that we do because we are what we, I mean, to some degree, we're going to have characteristics of what we learned, you know, mm -hmm. as children. Um, how many times do we say, I will never say to my kids when I was your age yes. <laughs> or, you know, you know, if I'd ever spoken to my parents like that, we say it because we, we heard it. And, and it's, it's a habit that we can change, but I think it's a, it's like a knee jerk reaction and we'll get together and we'll say, oh my gosh, you know, we swore we were never going to do this and we did it. You know, are we going <laughs> to, are we going to struggle like this? And, um, you know, we, we love our mom, but she's really not able to be a part of our lives. And so that is a terrifying thing, not mm -hmm. because, 
it we think she's an awful person but because we've seen how it has um, taken away so much joy in her life and so yes we have all had that fear and um, and especially being as young as I was as a mother and then having you know uh, two other children like I thought I was losing my mind most of the time <laughs> yeah. and my house smelled like you know stinky diapers yes. and I mean how do you not feel like you're gonna lose your mind when right. you're not sleeping and you know everybody's in you know it's it's just like a free-for-all but um, you know the best thing I feel like I did and I still do it is I study other mothers and you know even if I'd had a mother who was very present in my upbringing I still think that that is such a valuable tool to look around at other mothers, not in a judgmental way, but in a what can I learn from you sort of way because generations are different. The times are different. Just figuring out social media is is like such a challenge. And the more we can talk to other mothers and the more we can tell them what we admire about them or ask them questions and not worry so much about how do I appear do I have anything to add? I mean, hopefully I do, but my first, the first thing I want to know is what, what do you know? Right. How do you find those people? So definitely church. Um, but honestly, I look for them. You just keep your eyes open. Like I keep my like eyes miracles open. Yeah. And like I, God's hand. Like it's literally all around us. Yeah. Yeah. We have to look for them. I look, look for, for them. Yeah. I have met people in the grocery store. I have met people. <laughs> we just hiked Half Dome for our um, anniversary, our 22nd anniversary. And we hiked up with four sets of people. And we hiked down with four sets of people. And I am still communicating with one of those couples wow, from just of that day of hiking. Yeah. And I learned so much about them. They were completely different than, than you know, who I am in a beautiful way um, and I find them so interesting mm -hmm. um, and so they live in mini in uh, Minneapolis and so you know they're in the Midwest and I'm here on the West Coast anyway I I look for that and I value um, the knowledge that people can give to me and so I try to cultivate um, some sort of a relationship. Hey everyone, I wanted to interrupt just one last time to thank our show sponsor, Canvas People. If you come to my house, it's not covered in world-class art, it's covered with family photos. After a summer of memory making, I have tons of photos that I want to print and display, and Canvas People is an excellent way to accomplish that goal. Canvas People transforms your photos into beautiful, unique, museum-quality canvases that are easy to hang and make fabulous home decor. Ordering a canvas is so, so easy when you go to canvaspeople.com. It is simple, it will arrive on your doorstep in no time at all, it's light and durable, and you will love seeing the progression of your family photos over the years. I keep all of mine hanging all the time, and I love seeing my little baby boys, and now they're so much bigger. What's happened? Well, I know you're gonna love Canvas People too, and I have a special code that you can use to get a free 11 by 14 canvas for free. Yep, that's a $69.99 value, and all you have to do is pay the shipping and handling. To get your own 11 by 14 canvas, just visit canvaspeople.com and enter the code EMP. That's EMP. Canvaspeople.com and enter code EMP for your free canvas. And you don't even need to wait until you have a professional photo done. Print your favorite memory from the summer and proudly display it on your wall. You'll be so glad you did. Thanks, Canvas People, for sponsoring the show.
So looking back on your childhood and the way you were raised and the challenges you faced, how do you view those now? You know, is it is it possible that was equipping for you? Absolutely, and probably the the most um, unexpected way in my family because when part of my mom's mental illness was is and was um, like she went to the grocery store once and forgot she'd taken my five year old sister and left her there. Oh no! Um, and like that's horrifying. Yes. But there be, there kind of became a point where after. So many times of the store calling and saying your mom left her wallet or like she was just incredibly forgetful and and now we know a lot of that was the fear of of the feelings she was having and that fear just really shuts everything down it kicks up your adrenal system and you you stop being able to process thoughts in in a normal way and but you know at some point and my dad was a really was really good at doing this he laughed not as a like making fun of her but like Kathy, it's okay. You know, like, mm. look how funny this is. Like, everybody knows now, like, they're going to hold your card for you. Right. You know, yeah, like, you right. have your own guest services at this store because you've, you know, he could find the humor in anything. And he taught us that, which has, has really saved us in so many ways because although there is nothing funny about, you know, your child having open heart surgery or your child having a stroke or, you know, some of those things that, that happened, we still could find the humor in, in the oddest places. Like (laughs) I remember Addie waking up from spine surgery and the very first thing she said after they had taken all of the equipment off so she could speak because she had had a ventilator and she croaks, I need cheese hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) This is when she's five. She's five. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, I mean... We laughed and laughed and laughed, and sh- and I really think we find most things funny, you yeah. know, not in a in a mocking sort of way, but just in a isn't it amazing that in all this seriousness and 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 in situations where you want to crawl into a dark corner and cry for days, you know, if you could, there there's always something where you can just laugh, like I can't believe this is happening to me, kind of funny. Right. Um, well, it's know. coming back to that presence, right? Being yeah. present in the moment. In yes. that moment, it wasn't a matter of the ventilator beeping in the background, and it wasn't a matter of your daughter's future health right. and what was going to happen. But it was her that she wanted was that cheese hamburger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's really, really wise. Um, yeah, the value of being of being present and worrying less because like you said none of us know like you hope she would live to 10 based upon her initial health stuff yeah but you may not have even made it until she was 10 years old you know who even nobody knows nobody is is gifted you know a long life yep. necessarily and so really enjoying every day gosh that's huge um, I hear from a lot of women who have very full plates and if they have a child with special needs or their attention's divided in one way or another they really struggle with bringing more kids into the family because a they don't have enough hands or maybe enough hours in the day they feel like or maybe they don't want to subject their other kids to the challenge that comes from having a sibling with special needs Mm -hmm. what i really love so much about the other women i've spoken to and you is how you've really embraced this family calling that everybody's involved mm-hmm. in loving and appreciating Addie. And it's what she adds to the family, not the sacrifices Mm-mm. that not are made. All. But even the sacrifices become a beautiful thing because it's done in love. Right. Will, you, will you speak to that a little bit? 
Well, I had a very wise neighbor. Remember, like I said, I I um I look for good find mothers. Your people, I yep. Find my people. And I remember her telling me one day that they talk about she has four boys and they their family is team their mm-hmm. last name. Mm-hmm. Like and I took that to heart and when I had these three little kids and I was really nervous to have more children, mostly because of the shock mm. that, you know, I thought I'd had all this testing and then, you know, I had such a surprise. So I almost, even when I had, I had an amniocentesis with the Janssen, but just because I didn't want that shock, I wanted to be prepared. Mm-hmm. But even still, I just kept thinking when he was perfectly fine, I kept thinking like the next shoe's going to drop. Because so many something. shoes had right. dropped yeah. all in a short time. And so, um, you know, I had, and then Marley was a surprise. So they were 18 months to the day. And I knew my, I knew I was at capacity and at capacity is different for everyone. But for me, I knew like I could not do a good job if I brought more children into Mm -hmm. the world. That Mm -hmm. was what I could handle. And, um, and we started from a really young age when one would complain about another or, you know, or even, um, we went through a phase where everybody, where the little ones would say, Addie gets all the attention. Everybody Uh wants to talk to Addie which was not what I expected, you know? Mm. I expected that, you know, they would have to be kind of pulling her forward, but she's such a light and right. such a, a vibrant personality that she does draw a lot of attention. And we started talking about how we are Team Hodges. And in Team Hodges, everyone's valuable and no one trumps anyone else. And that means mom and dad too. Now that doesn't mean they can drink my soda or they can eat my candy all the time. <laughs> right. But they it means that um, in in this family unit, we we all contribute. And if one person's weaker than the other, then you know, we all step back to help build that weaker person. And oh, they probably don't love it, but they hear it all the time. <laughs> you know, well Marley got this and blah blah blah. Well we're Team Hodges and that's right. what Marley needed right now. Or, you know, mom, why won't you take me to the movies? Well, we're Team Hodges and I'm too tired today. So <laughs> I'm sorry, my, you know. Everybody gets what they need. Everybody and gets. It's not always equal or nope. at the same time. No. Nope. But it all pans out when you're a team. Yep. That's mm. what we, well, and, and that's what we're trying. And now that they play on sports teams, they get it a little bit more. Yeah. You know, you're only as strong as your weakest team member. Yeah. And so as a family, you know, we have to, we all have to build each other. Yeah. Oh, I just think that's that's so amazing. And for you personally, especially in those early years, those first 11 years where you were spread so thin and you faced a lot of challenges yourself, how did you give yourself permission to take care of you? Because you could give and give and give and give until the 24 hours ran out. So honestly, for me, I needed to work. I worked a little bit um, until shortly before, I worked a little bit until Addie was about 10. And then we had spine surgery coming around the corner. And that was a really bad move. So when I had Addie, I was working for a dentist and he was an absolute godsend because he let me bring her. And I brought her and worked for the next two years and then um, I started trading babysitting with my neighbor and I would work three days a week and she would work two days a week and somehow it always worked out I mean there were three years where I just worked at night and I worked at the gap so I could 
buy my children's clothes, but I was at least kind of out and among people. I know it was, it took a toll on my husband, but again, it was that we're team Hodges and like, I'm going to lose my mind if I don't get out. But I finally quit my job and wasn't working when Addie was 10 and I didn't realize how much I needed that. And for, for all of us, it might be something else, but Mm -hmm. for me, that has always been kind of, um, something that would fill my cup in addition to my friends. And, um, and I started to feel, I remember as the surgery, it was in January, as it was approaching this particular surgery, every time I'd go in for a pre-op, they'd have to tell me, you need to know the risks and should something happen, she's being operated on, on her stomach and we will most likely not have time to stitch her up and flip her back over. And she'd already had a stroke, you know, in Mm. her surgery when she was five. And that was a minor procedure. And so I would go in and I would leave and I would just be tied in knots and so sick. And I had no outlet at that time. Mm. And I started to lose weight and lose weight. And then I started to um, feel like if I only eat this many calories, then I have control of something. And it got worse and worse and worse. And within a few months, I'd lost 20 pounds. And um, and I knew that I was sick. But I also kept thinking, I can take care of this as soon as this surgery is over. Then I can go get help. Or then it, I won't be scared anymore. So these fears will go away. And then I'll be able to like let this new um, coping mechanism go. And I remember being in the hospital and running the stairs from, you know, the lobby up because I, I couldn't leave for eight days. And while she was well, so recovering from yes, surgery. Yes, so I would, because I was going to come out of my skin, Wow. I would go and run the stairs while Brandon was there. I'm sure everybody thought I was completely nuts, but it would only just take the edge off. And I remember thinking, but when I go home, it will be fine. And then yeah. I went home and it still wasn't fine. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, once I know that she's really well, that it will be fine. And all the while, like all those habits got worse, the calorie can- counting, the exercising. And it was just this control that I needed to survive what I thought I needed to survive the stress of, of that circumstance. And it wasn't until the following year when I could not get control of it and now my life was in danger that I finally said, this team member is not going to get back up without help. And so it, it really stunk um, to have to leave my children, but I checked into an um, intensive outpatient program where I went all day and then I slept at home and I left my three and five-year-old and, you know, 11-year-old. My husband was amazing. Um, and I had to call a babysitter and, you know, it was, it was, um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it's also one of those things that I'm the most proud of Hmm. because I, I would not, I honestly would not have been here. I mean, I was on the, they said when I checked in, like, you really should be in an inpatient program and you should be on a feeding tube. So, I mean, that's not a success story, but 
it's one of those um, circumstances where often as mothers we put we have to put ourselves aside because we're caring for our children but in the end we're we're not really helping them if we're not taking care of ourselves right and so it's something I have to recalibrate all the time that's my go-to if I get stressed right I I need that control and so I have to do my own you know mental health check so now what so now that you're aware of that is your go-to and and you're right when we establish those bad habits it goes so deep and we think we can just flip a switch when something changes and we can you know go back to the healthier habits that's not how habits Mm -mm. work Mm -mm. it's not even when you want them to so so what did you learn in that treatment and what do you continue doing today to stay on a path of nope I'm not gonna go on empty (laughs) I don't have to yeah because that was a lot of time that you spent consumed with that even though you felt like you couldn't make the time to maybe work outside the home or spend other time doing something more constructive you could have have replaced it with something but you didn't even know that so now that you know how much energy what did you swap it with what did you learn I learned that um, I have to pay attention to those feelings and take them seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to stuff them aside. I mean, I, we live in a society where we numb ourselves either with too much food or not enough food, or we numb ourselves with social media, or we numb ourselves with this new series that we're going to watch. Um, I, my daughter went to a church camp just recently, and she texted me the first night, and she said, I hate how I feel without my distractions. Whoa. And I thought, how profound. Yes. That she's even aware to vocalize yeah. that. It's fine to feel that. Yeah. We've all felt that but when we try and yeah. do that. But to be able to vocalize it. To realize, like, every day we, we probably have feelings that are trying to arise and we numb them with something. Mm-hmm. And how important it is that at some point, you know, I finally said to her, like, dude, you're going to have to sit with that for a little bit and then you know you'll start to remember oh yeah this is what these feelings feel like and and work through them and she did by the end of that week it was a long week but by the end of that week she came home and and had learned so much about herself and we we were able to really talk about some things that she felt she needed to work on that she had been kind of stuffing away so that she didn't have to do that work Amazing. And so, I honestly, aren't kids the best teachers? They are. I mean, I feel like our kids, we're equipped for our children to give them everything that they need and teach them, but they're sent to us for the exact same reason. Gosh, they're equipped. She was so succinct yeah. about, she said exactly, she verbalized what I know and I have been unable to verbalize, yes. and I, I thought the whole week, where, where am I distracting so that I don't have to feel you know uncomfortable because today I feel like I'm unsuccessful or today I'm nervous about this or we have these things every single minute of our lives and so you know I don't know why we I realized that by um, not eating and by counting and all of those things essentially what it did is just made me numb yeah and and that's a sad predicament to be in and and sure it does the trick you know you don't have to grieve but you can't love either right and that's that's not an equal swap you know oh you can't grieve but you can't love either you it You're has it's stuck. the basket you have to have you have to say i am going to feel sad but then i am also going to feel joy because if you are are numbing you don't feel any of it and what no. a sad existence that is oh man that is just so, so good. And I think sometimes we're not mindful of what our self-care looks like. Yeah. So 
here you felt accomplished at the end of the day by running the stairs and counting and everything and you're like I can kind of check that box that I did a great job on that today and I control that right 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 and sometimes you know laying down and watching a show for some but then it turns into episode after episode not speaking from any experience (laughs) whatsoever but we think I just need some downtime and that will refuel me Yes. I do not feel refueled after that. Maybe after so one episode, true. maybe after two. Definitely not after three. <laughs> I've had that thought. <laughs> or so or many staying times. up later at night yes. than I should when sleeping would refuel me so much more than just oh, yeah. having some personal indulgent time mm-hmm. ever would. So really analyzing is your self care productive? Right, right. And realizing that the energy you spend on self care is not just the fact that it exists in your life, but is it is it working for you? So and it may have worked for a while, but, but monitoring it and switching it up if it's no longer doing it, right? Absolutely. And a lot of it is balance. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, I realized that um, especially coming from being so restrictive about what I ate. And so, I mean, I became an expert. Really what I thought I was so great at was self-mastery. You know, mm. look at me. I, it's hard to not eat more than this many calories but look I can do it and it it like fed my self-esteem in a really odd way too but um you know they tell you when you go in for treatment that to really recover from an eating disorder takes five years and I remember thinking no that is not true (laughs) like here I am you're going to fix me in four months and I was in this in you know this extended outpatient treatment for four months and I went home and it honestly took my brain five years to not feel terrible about, you know, indulgences or to not feel like I even still struggle with if I don't exercise this much, then I haven't earned, Mm. you know, eating this much. Mm. Um, And so my, especially in the last year or two, and a lot of this is motivated by the fact that I have a teenage daughter who is watching me. And, you know, even if you don't have your own teenage daughter in your home, there are teenage daughters all around us and we can choose to be um, an example of what to be or we can choose to be an example of what not to be but either way we are all examples right. in one way or another um, and I I just really that is a really big motivator for me is that I don't want to pass that on to her I don't want to give her that particular um, dangerous coping mechanism and so I have set a lot of goals um, about balance like you know and for some reason if I've decided that I get dessert every day and that's just the the decision I've made it feels less like a control issue Mm -hmm. than if I were to make that decision every day Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. to say that so maybe you have your one episode that you watch a day but you say I'm only watching one you know so it's not like we can't do these things that that we they're all good as long as we aren't using it to numb ourselves or to distract ourselves. Yeah. And it really boils down to expectations is what it sounds like. And, you know, if our expectation is that we never yell at our children, even if you only lost your temper one time that day, which is like a miracle if you're me. Absolutely. Me too. Why would I feel like a failure of a mother if I could have lost my temper 20 times, but I only did it one time, but the expectation was zero. Yeah. Yeah. Those are not realistic goals. So whether it's eating for you, whether it's exercise, whether it's cooking five nights a week healthfully, whether it's how much time you spend on your phone, whatever it is, not yelling, it's a matter of recalibrating your expectations and perhaps expecting nothing in some cases and and just doing your best. Because I know 
that I want to always be an example to my kids of trying. I do not want them to feel like if they make a mistake, I'm viewing them with a critical eye the same way I view myself with a critical eye. I want them to self-love and be accepting of others who also make mistakes. And I want to walk them through when mom makes a mistake, this is how we, how we get past that. That's how we make it right. Cause that's, that's reality. And that is a healthy adult, not the person that just does everything right. No, no. And I don't know about you, but, and I, I also think this may be a generational thing, but um, in my upbringing, it was very clear that things were not going right, mm-hmm. but it was an environment where you never admitted that because we're mm. the parents and there's a very clear hierarchy here, you know, like mm-hmm. don't question us as long as you live under my roof. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because we need to teach our children respect. But I also think we need to have those conversations. Like I will say to my kids, man, I messed up mm-hmm. today. And this is how terrible I feel about it. And this is how I'm going to try to fix it. I was just, I love TED Talks. And I was just watching this TED Talk. Um, I wish I could remember this woman's name. But she was talking about all these studies that they've done on schools and um, inner city areas and even colleges. And then they've looked at um, people who have become successful in their careers. And then they've tried to kind of put together what is it that sets them apart? Because they, they know now it's not intelligence mm-hmm. and they know not now that it's not just wealth and it's not just opportunity. And she said it was very interesting because she said the one characteristic we find across the board is grit. Hmm. And I love the word grit yeah. because it, it's, it's, to me, grit is friction. You know, and that friction is life and we're all going to have that friction. So is it going to rub us raw and we're going to run from it? Or is it something that we're going to continue to work through and, and, um, you know, build some resilience. And when I look at my children, I want them to have grit. I want them to see that I have friction in my life. They know about the friction that I have in my life. I mean, I'm not an oversharer, like here's the nitty gritty details, but I will, you know, say they, they, my kids actually know they're teenagers. So, you know, they can know they'll, they know quite a lot about my experience growing up with my mom. And I've talked to them quite a lot about what it was like to watch my, my dad die of cancer. And, and, you know, sometimes those things are so painful that we bottle them up and we don't want to talk about them. And I understand that, but if I'm going to take the grit that (laughs) I learned from those experiences and hopefully pass that on to my kids, I have to talk about it. So, you know, I just think conversations now with our kids that are age appropriate, of course, that's different conversation now with my teenagers than it was when they were seven or eight. Although there were times we had to really talk to our kids because of the things they saw with my mom Mm -hmm. um, that were alarming to them. And and we had to kind of explain and and help them to um, have compassion, you know, for her mental health and understand why she was doing and saying some of the things that she did. And, you know, as much, even as much, as much as Addie has done to shape my children, I would say that that experience of having a grandmother with mental illness has shaped my children a lot as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. You're so wise. Oh, I just, we could just talk all the live long day. Um, Well, I I always have a lot to learn. (laughs) We and all do. And you taught a, me. And like, that's the thing. Like, we have so much we can learn from another. And you started out saying you love watching other mothers. And so do I. That's the whole basis of this podcast yes. is 
you don't have to have your life fit the title of the description of the episode to learn something from these women, right? right? So right. they don't need to have a daughter with Down syndrome. They don't need to have a mother who experienced mental health issues to generalize so many of these experiences and not only relate to them, but then also empathize with right. people who have lived a life different than yours. And it just opens right. my eyes so much. And so I just really... Oh, I just appreciate you sharing so much. I just value your friendship more than you know, and I just love you so much. So I always ask my guests one final question. It's my favorite, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? So like at 19, 20 years old. Such a good question. I would have told that 19, 20-year-old that I am capable of far more than I thought I was capable of. You know, I was young, and sometimes we think youth means, um, what's the opposite of superior? <laughs> In superior, inferior. inferior. Yeah. Yes, we think that youth, especially, I don't know, I even see myself sometimes looking at the youth now and thinking, oh, these youth, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're just nothing. They just had everything given to them and whatever. But I'm telling you, uh, that is that is not true. Mm-hmm. You at any age can can do amazing things and I would tell my 19 20 year old self you are capable you can absolutely do this and don't waste so much time being afraid Hmm. thanks Jill Mm -hmm. thank you you're you are truly uh, an extraordinary mom (laughs) thank you my kids might might disagree (laughs) they need to listen to this (laughs) listen up kids your mom's amazing (laughs) right be like wait a minute she talked about me Everyone needs a friend like Jill, and I'm really glad she's mine. (laughs) I hope you have a Jill in your life. I hope you have a friend not only that you have a lot in common with, but a mom that is a season beyond where you are, that has teenage insights that you don't have yet, that can guide and direct you with the things they're doing really well and the things they've learned and sometimes learned the hard way. I love Jill's honesty. I love her perspective. She's the best. She can stand me up for lunch anytime. (laughs) If you want to check out cute pictures of Jill and her family, you guys, Jill's a babe. She's like a major babe. You want to go to ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com, check out the show notes, and see pictures of her whole family and her beautiful daughter, Addie. I just love the family so much, and I'm so grateful to know them. Hey, guess what? We have a Friday episode coming out for you this week. Woohoo! As a welcome back tribute, I have Meg coming on from Mill Kids Ed. Mill Kids is a website to help parents navigate the educational system wherever they're at. As somebody who has been in the military with her family, she's experienced wide discrepancies across different state lines and school systems and districts, and she's found a lot of inconsistencies that have left parents unsure of how to help their children best and how to advocate for them. We also talk about best ways to help your child with homework and things like that. There's just so much we're going to talk about, and I'm so excited to share that with you as we're all heading back to school. And then next week, on Tuesday, we have an incredible episode with Kristen Carbone. Kristen is an extraordinary mom who's going to share about her experience through a mastectomy and breast reconstruction. And now that she's on the other side of it, she has a passion for empowering women to share their feelings shamelessly and unapologetically and asking for what they need. She's also a single mom, and she's just remarkable. She really is, and I can't wait for her to share her life journey and her motherhood experience with you. So thanks for tuning into the podcast today, everybody, and we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.